Hey, everybody. This is Heidi St. John, and I'm here today with Dorinda Wilson again. Thanks yes. for coming. You flew all the way here. I did, all the way across the Spokane. state. <laughs> Such a long ways. Hey, man, it seems like a long ways when you have to get up at three in the morning. Well, yeah, there's right. that. You know, there's always that. Uh, but I'm thrilled that you're here again. And we have a special guest with us today. Sherry Seligson is here. She's joining us on the phone from the great state of Florida. How are you doing today, Sherry? Hi, Heidi. Hi, Dorinda. Doing great. We're excited to have Sherry here. Sherry uh, writes for Apologia. She has written the marine biology uh, book for them. And also she blogs over at justextraordinary.com. It's J-U-S-T hyphen extraordinary. Dot com. Sherry and her husband, Dave, have four children that they've homeschooled all the way through high school, and they've just recently graduated their last. And so, Sherry, you're a little bit of an of an empty nest homeschooler right now, yeah? That is right. I have a home, I'm a homeschool empty nester. I'm going through all my old curricula and staring at it and a little bit sad. Sometimes I'm happy. Sometimes I'm sad. <laughs> yeah. But it's good. It's good. Yeah. Seasons but of a homeschool mom. That's why I have some semblance of sanity after all of it. So there's hope. There's, there's hope. hope. <laughs> good to know. All right. Good to know. That's why Dren and I like talking to you because we're like, all right, she survived. We can she, do this. We can do this. We've, you know, we've got a few more years to go. I've graduated three yeah. now and, yep. and you've graduated three, three Dorinda, yes. right? Yes. So we, we're looking at you, Sherry. We're holding you way up high there, woman. I hope you, I hope you know that. Oh, goodness. Oh, the pressure. <laughs> the pressure. Oh, the pressure. the pressure. Well, we want to take some time today and discuss something since we got Sherry here and she is a scientist. Uh, and Sherry and I have had lots of conversations about um, the relativity of of creationism mm -hmm. and how important it is to the culture, basically, that we have two worldviews in conflict. And we see this mm -hmm. over and over and over again, uh, certainly uh, in the public school systems, uh, evolution is taught as a fact, and the and the educational system in the West, uh, you can correct me if you, if you think this is wrong, Sherry, but it's my understanding that the educational system in the West has uh, pretty much replaced progressively a biblical foundation with a belief in evolution as the truth. And that's what's yeah. being taught now, and this is the system that's training our teachers and our judges, uh, our media, our politicians. And then these leaders go ahead and they set the social agenda, which we certainly are seeing happen around the country right now, mm -hmm. which is eventually translated and written into law. Uh, what's your mm -hmm. What's your thought on that? Do you see that happening as well? I do, and I think that um, too often we are complacent uh, or indifferent in that area because um, we just feel like, well, I don't know enough about that. It's not really important. But our worldview affects everything that mm -hmm. we think and do. And so if we believe that um, all of living, all living things evolved from a single cell beyond that to what we are now, then what makes us any more valuable than a dog or a bird or a mm -hmm. fish? Um, and therefore, if that's the case, then how do we you know, how do our laws work? You know, if a dog accidentally kills somebody or somebody kills a dog or somebody kills a bug or, you know, those thinking about those things, it really does affect everything we do in our lives day to day, relationships mm -hmm. and, and, and legal things and murder. Uh, so we, it's a critical thing to understand uh, mm -hmm. what our worldview is and mm -hmm. talking to our children about that and not ignoring it because not having a worldview is a worldview too. Mm -hmm. And so if we don't, address those issues with our children, then they will have a very confused worldview. And they will, believe me, they will take on something. It, won't, it will be something. It may not be what you're hoping they will, but mm -hmm. they will take on something. 
speaking. Right. Mm-hmm. So, so when yeah. you, I guess when I'm looking around and it seems to me uh, that God has been removed largely from public life. I wrote about this on the blog last week about how man is mm-hmm. determining what's right and wrong and the laws are written by whoever possesses the most political power. So we're not looking to the Bible as the basis for establishing law. Now we base our laws on man's desires and man's opinion, which honestly you can trace back to um, our decision as a nation to decide against God's word at, for the foundations of the earth. For uh, right. we've disregarded the Bible and therefore Genesis is wrong. And instead of things, mm-hmm. instead of our uh, belief as Christians hinging on the fact that we believe the Bible and that God is the creator uh, of the universe and therefore is the one who gets to decide right and wrong, we have taken that place for him and we have become the, the and we have decided that man, that things hinge on what we think is right and wrong. And boy, we're seeing a, the, the, the rotten fruit of that being played out in the courts and in our schools. And that's why it's so important that our kids understand that there are evidences for creation everywhere. And I'm wondering, uh, I know that you have a passion for this, Sherry. I was wondering if today you could just share a couple of those evidences of creation that busy moms like me Mm -hmm. and Dorenda Mm -hmm. can begin to instill in our kids. And then uh, toward the end of today's podcast, we're going to give our listeners some references and some good places where they can go and find information online. Okay, and I will try to be as brief as possible because we could talk for hours. I know. <laughs> <There's>, <laughs> there, there are a lot of evidences. There are actually a lot of things we talk about, evidences for creation, and then maybe another time we could talk about holes in evolutionary theory. But um, the, the, one of the evidences that I see for creation is when we begin to see patterns um, in, in our world. You know, uh, one of the examples I love to use is thinking about painting. I'm not an art historian or educated in art in any means, but when I see a Picasso painting, for example, I know it's Picasso mm-hmm. because I see a pattern. I know that, you know, one eye is up on the top and one eye is down the bottom and there's no ear and, you know, mm-hmm. you just, you identify his, his fingerprint mm-hmm. and you say, yeah, that's, he was the one that created that painting. And as you begin to look at um, things in our world, we see patterns. A good example of that is um, the, Atoms, the structure of atoms, and you have this central nucleus and electrons orbiting around that nucleus. And when you look at, at the, the way that we have our solar system designed and our galaxies designed, there's a central core and there's things that orbit the center, whether it's a black hole or a star. Now, the, the, the forces are different, but the patterns are there. And that is a indication of a designer who designed similar things. There's, there's a... Um, there's an intelligence from that that we can see that cannot be explained by just habit or, mm-hmm. or, or explained away. Another amazing example that we're getting to see is when we look at in chemistry and, and, and atoms themselves, most of us are familiar with the periodic table of the elements. I'm, and, you know, mm-hmm. you guys probably have had to teach that to your kids. If you haven't yet, you will, right? Yep, yep. Um, <laughs> and what that is, is it's, it is a, um, understand, it's a table that shows every single known entity or element, substance that exists on Earth. And as scientists were discovering these elements, they began to notice a pattern in the way that they were behaving and the way that their properties were and how many electrons and protons they had. And they just put them in this table. In fact, six people independently came up with the periodic table of the elements because of this known pattern we could see. And so the order in that is fascinating. Well, well now scientists are looking at what are called subatomic particles. You might be familiar with an atom data with proton and neutron and electron. Right. Well, 
protons and neutrons are actually made up of these of smaller bits. And so they take this, this giant, this giant um, device, it's a, it's, a, it's a container called a particle collider, miles long, and they super speed up uh, material and they smash it together. It creates energy and it pops back out into different kinds of materials. It's really kind of hard to explain detail. But what they're seeing is there's a bunch of subatomic particles that exist, muons and, and um, all kinds of, of different funny-sounding names wow. of these subatomic particles. Mm-hmm. And looking at the way those things behave, they're seeing a pattern. They actually have put together a periodic table of subatomic particles, and they can anticipate that there might be some missing that we haven't discovered yet based on what we do know. And so when you see that order, order is always something that makes you understand that there was some intelligence that put it there. You know, I love the example of you're walking through the forest and you find a, um, an alarm clock on the floor of the forest. And you know that wasn't just, it didn't happen to be, right? That, that there was, there's got to be a man or some human brought that alarm clock and set it there because it's too complex to have just popped up. We, 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 in, in, you know, we intuitively know that. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and so when you see that, you know there was a designer. There was, there was one who created it. It didn't just happen. So when we see patterns, when we see order, those are evidences of an intelligent designer. Um, there's an there's a, a actual example of um, the way that we are, the complexity of life. You know, dolphins, most people know that dolphins can echolocate, right? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. They can send out their little echoes and they can identify what things are made of. They can, they can communicate, they can find food. Their echolocation um, ability is a life requirement. They can, cannot survive without their ability to echolocate because that's how they find their food. It's a critical life um, ability. If they can't echolocate, they cannot find their food and they'll die. So when you look at the echolocation mechanism of a dolphin, um, all the different parts, the body parts that have to be there present, it is, it is impossible to explain from an evolutionary standpoint. Mm-hmm. Uh, when, we, when we talk, they have to have, you know, the, the blowhole, they have this squealy sound they make out of their blowhole. You ever blow up a balloon and then not tie it out, but let out the air just a little bit and it makes that fun, annoying, squealy sound. Mm-hmm. That's one of the components they have. And they have this muscular, um, uh, muscular balloon, if you will, that controls how fast. And they have nasal plugs and they have um, a, a, a lens almost. The, the, their forehead is a melon that's specifically used to aim those sounds outward. Um, they have a jaw that extends up into their inner ear that is unique to a dolphin. They receive those sounds coming back. All of those pieces have to be present for a dolphin to be able to echolocate. And so if you look at the process of evolution, where it's tiny little changes made by accidents, by mutations, um, it, it doesn't make sense that that would happen. Half of a system that's complex like that doesn't benefit a dolphin. In fact, it's actually negative because it's better to maintain pieces that don't do anything for them. And so explaining that the slow mechanism of all these complex organs had to appear bit by bit doesn't work. Mm-hmm. And so it, when you see that the scientists use the term irreducible complexity to talk about that, that complex system cannot be reduced or taken to smaller pieces incrementally in an organism's development for the organism to survive. It doesn't make sense. Half of the system doesn't work. And some scientists will even say, well, all those pieces were used for something else and then all of a sudden work together for this echolocative ability. And we're talking about seven or eight major organs that we're all doing something else in their lifetime that from an 
from a, a single moment had to change and work together, not doing those other things so that this dolphin could echolocate. So when we see that irreducible complexity, we have to understand that this organism was formed intentionally, not just by chance. And so it is so important for us to, to see these evidences for what they are. They're, the definition of evolution, for example, changes almost every year as new scientific developments come out because the new scientific developments poke holes into theory. Mm. And so they change the definition to mm. make it fit. And that's where um, we have to be. We don't have to know all the details of all the science behind it, but we do have to understand it's a worldview in itself. In fact, I love to ask people, you know, everybody, almost everybody understands that uh, Charles Darwin was the one who um, postulated this idea of evolution, the first one to actually actually speak it and write it out. Mm-hmm. But the title of his book is a very interesting title. It's called On the Origin of Species by Means of Natural Selection, or, listen to this, or The Preservation of Favored Races in the Struggle for Life. Wow. It, it's an interesting thing that he talks about because that's the title of his actual book is that, and it's a, it's a title that Adolf Hitler used. I was going to say, that sounds a lot like uh, Margaret Sanger and uh, Adolf yeah. Hitler. All about eugenics, all about the best. And so when we get, can you see how that's so critical mm-hmm. to our worldview? Mm-hmm. And so, and, and I've, I've read his book several times, um, Darwin's book, not, not Adolf's. It is, about three-fourths of the book is nothing but explanation as to why there are problems with this theory. And he said, but perhaps as science advances, we'll know better and be able to explain it. Well, science has advanced, and we have explained it, but not in the way he expected, because there's, there's so much for creation. Every single scientist that is an evolutionist cannot explain how we get from nothing to life. Mm-hmm. They can start from a cell, a single cell, and go on. They cannot get to that cell. And when you look, we're learning every year, the complexity of a single cell is fascinating. It's extremely complex. Life doesn't go from simple to complex. Life Mm -hmm. goes from complex to ridiculously complex. Boy, that's the truth. (laughs) Ask a mom. Amen. Yeah. So it is. And so we need to, we need to, we can make ourselves understand the importance of this. I'm again, Mm -hmm. don't have to know all the details, but you do need to realize the critical critical importance of, of addressing this subject because it affects everything we do. I was reading on uh, uh, over at creation.com, there's an article called Creation, the Better Explanation by a gentleman named Calvin Smith, and we'll link to it in today's uh, podcast. But he's saying, uh, Sherry, exactly what you're saying. He's saying that evolutionists today are switching uh, how they're approaching the theory of evolution because of science, because the more we learn, the more they're going, Oh wait, that didn't work. And they're having to go back and change it. And when you base your science on what the Bible has said, that's not going to change because the Bible is an, is an accurate historical record rather than science that's based on a materialistic worldview and, and really invented history that seems to be changing as we're finding out more and more. That's right. You're right. Yeah. Amazing. And so we, we, we need to, I mean, not only know that our Bible is truth, but it is a accurate historical document as well. Mm-hmm. And, um, and so I, I, I'm concerned, and we touched on this a little bit earlier when we were talking before, I'm concerned for students who are not encouraged to understand the science behind creationism, how God mm-hmm. created things, and understand what's, we need to understand the process of 
the theory of evolution. But we need to address this with our kids because if we just ignore it and say, and just say, well, God created the world and that's all they hear us say and nothing more, mm-hmm. when they get into the world, they're going to be bombarded. And mm-hmm. so we, we need to be addressing this. There are so many evidences of, of God's character in creation. When we, I could talk for another five minutes or so on, on water, just water. You know, the Bible says Jesus is our living water. The properties of water, when you look at what it is, show us God's character. Show us our character, His character in, in such an amazing way. And so that's why I love studying science, because I see God's hand in His creation. Sherry, I have a question for you. For just okay. a mom, you know, sitting out there listening to you and I'm I'm sitting here listening, thinking, yeah, I need to do better at this because even mm-hmm. in all these years of homeschooling, this is not something I've really intentionally addressed. Mm-hmm. And so I would like to hear from you because homeschooling can be overwhelming and mm-hmm. the whole subject of mm-hmm. adding another thing to our list. Mm-hmm. Um, what, what are some simple ways that we can start to, to do these things you're talking about? Just where can we start? Can you give us a starting point? Well, um, there obviously, I, I think there's some great, uh, resources that we can use that are written to children at different levels. Um, I, I feel like, you know, I personally love Apology Educational Ministries and their curriculum because they have they have that, especially their middle school, high school curriculum, um, is, has that woven throughout. There's, mm-hmm. there's a lot of um, explanations as to holes in evolutionary theory, evidences of God's hand, there are several organizations that are creation organizations that um, will have that offer all kinds of books, videos showing, like for example, the the Grand Canyon and how that exists and how that could possibly have occurred in not billions and billions of years, but mm-hmm. much much less. Um, and so those those um, organizations, I would encourage you to start looking at those at good organizations that promote uh, creationism from a scientific standpoint and. And read their, you know, read their blogs, read their articles, and they often have uh, materials for young people as well, um, studies and things that kids can do. Wow. These are great ideas. I'm uh, loving this conversation and listening, uh, listening to you. And I, and I think uh, in answer to, to Dorinda's question, some of the simple mm-hmm. things parents can do is just to teach your children about God's creation starting when they're really young. Read the story mm-hmm. of, of creation to them over and over until they have it really fixed in their memory. And then the other thing I was thinking, particularly with the little ones, is to just instill a sense of wonder in your kids. I mean, there's something about, you know, going to the Grand Canyon or taking your child to, you know, the zoo or going to the ocean and looking at these creatures and how complex they are. And uh, I know uh, Sailor and I, our youngest daughter, who's uh, almost five, we were uh, listening, you know, just to the birds singing a couple of weeks ago. And I said to her, I said, Sailor, can you imagine what God was thinking on the day that he decided to create birds? He was thinking, yeah. let's see, what else could I do? <laughs> you know, I've done this, mm-hmm. I've done that. Mm-hmm. And his, and you know, just you can see her eyes light up and she's so excited because she's at an age where she really is a sponge. And I think a lot of times, you know, m- moms especially, we, we, you know, we overthink it. Mm-hmm. You know, we get so hung up on I have to do this mm-hmm. and I have to do that. But when they're really little, our job is really to lay foundations for them, instilling that sense of wonder, reading to them the story of creation, um, letting them see that we believe the Bible. We take the Bible 100%. Uh, at mm-hmm. at its word, and then as they get older, 
giving them opportunities. And I for the, I love apology for the same reason you do uh, as a homeschool mom. Our kids have pretty much only ever done their science through Apologia because Apologia's whole premise is that they're going to explore creation. I'm pretty sure that's how they say it in their books, that they explore creation through chemistry. They explore it through biology. Uh, mm-hmm. they, they start at the, the foundation that God's word is true. And then they go on to say, and this is how we know. These are evidences of God's creation and God being right. the creator all around us. You know, I think that, that as, um, as a society, we, you know, most, all kids, I think, are born with that love of exploring. You know, you're mm-hmm. going for a walk with them and they stop to bend down to look at the little caterpillar crossing the, the walkway yeah. and they love that exploring. And we're like, come on, it's got to go. We've got to keep going. we got to keep going. That's nice. So let's go. And we have so many other things on our agenda. We mm-hmm. tend to beat that love of science out of yeah, them, don't we? Yeah, we do. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. You know, we've got to make this a test or we've got to make this a what? And, and I think, you know, granted, there are times when you have to, you know, as you get older, you have to add some accountability and writing and sure. tests and stuff. But, but that wonder, like you said, that wonder needs to always be encouraged because mm-hmm. it is, it, 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 every single time I study something new, a, new, a branch of science or look, look at something new that was discovered, I'm more in awe at our yeah. creator. I'm more yeah. in, in wonder at what he has done. Mm-hmm. Um, when you, when you think about him, being outside of time. We think about how how perfectly placed our planet is mm-hmm. in our solar system so that we are protected from all kinds of stuff that can come into our solar system by massive gas giant planets. Those are there not just to be pretty, but they're there to protect us mm-hmm. from things coming. If we were a little bit closer to the sun, we would burn up. A little bit further, we would freeze. The, the position, and not only that, having a clear atmosphere, which is very rare, that we can observe. Mm-hmm. If we were in an atmosphere that wasn't clear, we wouldn't even know what was out there. Mm-hmm. And I, I believe that God placed us where we were so that we could see His magnitude mm-hmm. um, and marvel yeah. at that magnitude, yeah. and at the same time understand that He's upholding us. Mm-hmm. Um, so not only is He so so vast, He's so intentional mm-hmm. in holding up our atoms. Well, I think the more that you show that your kids these patterns and remind them over and over again how absurd it is to suggest that these patterns could have happened by accident, the more they are going to notice them. Hey, we've run out of time today. Uh, We're having such a good time. But I, you know, I'm going to pick up on something that you talked about um, in learning and teaching our children to study the actual evidence for themselves and teaching our children about the fallacies and the holes of evolution before they learn about it, its supposed truth in school. So if you mm-hmm. if you're willing to come back again uh, out here with uh, Duran and I, I'd love to have you back uh, and we can talk about holes in the evolutionary theory and uh, some ways that we can help parents teach their children about the fallacies of evolution. Oh yeah, I'd love to. All right. Well, you guys, we're going to let let you all go uh, for today. And we'd appreciate it if you would share this podcast with your friends, particularly if you've got uh, moms who are uh, at the, they have ages at home where they're trying to teach their kids about the creation uh, of the world. And we're going to link to these um, resources and articles for you today at the podcast. So join us back here next time. We're going to continue talking with Sherry about holes in evolutionary theory. For more encouragement, visit me online at thebusymom.com.